You're very welcome back to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. As ever, we'd be glad to hear from you. Just to remind you again, our final gardening slot for now is coming up uh, towards the end of uh, the programme. So if you have a gardening query... Will you log it with us as soon as you can? Now, of course, we're on air every morning from nine and we spoke to Johnny in the first hour of the programme just after nine o'clock. Um, following up on our conversation with uh, Philly who confronted uh, the couple about the, the burqa uh, that the lady was wearing and all of that. Well, Johnny gave his view on that conversation this morning. Here's what he sa- had to say just after nine o'clock. I got qualified as a pub manager, right? Mm. And I was living in, living in London and a, a pub came up and I took it on and it was down in Brixton and Brixton as you know is all Afro-Caribbean sure, and African yeah. African people and the manager said to me and I, I, knew, I wouldn't be one for taking advice but I took advice from this fella he said to me when you go down there he said all the people are different to you he said don't try and change anything just join in with them and where where I had the pub was Crack City when I went down there there was like I said Afro-Caribbean people and they were of all different dreadlocks and different hairdos and different scarves and heads and scarves. I just joined in with them. And how, how did you get on with them, John? I joined in with them, friend. It was the best time I ever had in my life so was far. It? Was it? Because I joined in with them. The, the people that come here should join in with us as well. And enjoy the good Irish welcome. But as I say, the country has gone too cosmopolitan now and people are making issues of small things when there's other bigger issues in the world. And that's uh, John, uh, John's uh, commentary. Uh, to us this morning got a lot of a lot of attention to eighteen hundred nine three eight double oh seven now this month on Hidden Histories. Dr. Connor Reedy continues his occasional series on the Irish Civil War in Tipperary. Now as the battle for the future of the new state raged across the country, the forces opposing the treaty continued to attack the physical symbols of government. Now, meanwhile, the agencies of the state worked to ramp up the security of the country and in doing so were forced to take possession for military purposes, I suppose, of key civilian infrastructures such as prisoners, uh, prisons indeed. Now, the October episode of Tipperary's Hidden History uh, deals with the consequences of the Civil War takeover of one of the most significant pieces of infrastructure in the country's prison system, the Irish Borstal Institution in Clonmel. Treaty was the first formal step in the birth of the Free State and marked the beginning of the transition of Ireland's administrative institutions from British to Irish control. The narrow vote accepting the treaty in January 1922 highlighted a deep political division that ultimately led the country into a devastating civil war in the summer of 1922, lasting until the ceasefire in April 1923. Nonetheless, the business of state building continued apace and a transitional government was established during 1922 as political representatives drafted a free state constitution. Kevin O'Higgins was appointed Minister for Home Affairs in the interim administration, thus holding responsibility for the country's prisons and Borstal institution. Listeners are reminded that a Borstal was an institution solely operated by the prison system with the purpose of punishing and reforming habitual male offenders between the ages of 16 and 21 years. Ireland's first and only Borstal 
was located in Clonmel for 50 years between 1906 and 1956. It served the entire country and not just criminals from County Tipperary. It should be remembered that much of the work in assuming control of the apparatus of government in 1922 was carried out under the shadow of, first, the threat of physical hostilities, including the possibility of renewed British action, and then the actual outbreak of civil war between pro- and anti-treaty forces. The unrest had severe consequences for many aspects of government, with a particular burden falling on the prison system. Most of the prisons were under the control of the General Prisons Board, or were taken over by the Free State Army, leading to a greatly reduced capacity for civilian prisoners. The army used various institutions for the detention of internees, incarcerated for their anti-treaty military activity, as well as for the accommodation of their guards. In 1923, the General Prisons Board reported that this incursion into the day-to-day -day operation of the penal system caused much more overcrowding, and this in turn had a detrimental effect on prison discipline. At the political level, it was also impossible for the Home Affairs Ministry to implement any long-term strategies for the penal system as it was planned with other departments for the implementation of a permanent free state constitution. Under questioning at a Doyle committee dealing with the budgetary estimates for the General Prisons Board in November 1922, Minister O'Higgins was unequivocal in his opinion on the short-term prospects for the country's prisons. Labour Party Deputy Cahal O'Shannon, representing the Loudmead constituency, inquired whether the Minister had considered a thorough overhaul of the prison system. He described his own experience in prison as similar to being deposited into a criminal factory. He went on to point out that the prisons were very much overcrowded at that particular time, and this created substandard conditions. It was a fact that, for a time during and particularly following the Civil War, there was an increase in the prison population. Minister O'Higgins responded by declaring that serious reforms of the prison system were unrealistic. One does not build or try to build in the path of a forest fire, he argued. The situation could be revised once the unrest subsided, as this and other debates on the condition of prisons under the transitional state continued. The civil war manifested itself in two parts. The first phase consisted of a series of direct confrontations that saw the pro-treaty side removing the anti-treaty forces from all of their urban bases by the end of August 1922. Crucial to the success of the provisional government was rapid recruitment into the Free State Army, no doubt accounted for by the absence of public support for the anti-treaty side. After proving ineffective in this phase of the conflict, the anti-treaty forces resorted to the tactics that had served them so well in the Anglo-Irish War of Independence, and for the remainder of the year, they carried out a campaign of ambush and guerrilla warfare. The activity was particularly focused on their stronghold province of Munster, but once again, the government forces would prove successful, and by the end of December, the anti-treaty forces were all but defeated. It was in the context of this second phase of violent activity that the Borstal, now at Clahine, took place. After years of campaigning for an improvement in the condition, or even the location of the Irish Borstal system, the change came about unexpectedly. And this was perhaps not the nature of the change that supporters of the institution had hoped for.
It's not possible to determine the exact date of the transfer from Clonmel to Clohine Workhouse. Some reports state it was during the summer of 1922, while others suggest it was early October. The Clonmel Chronicle newspaper drew attention to strong rumours of a planned move in late September. In a lengthy editorial protesting against the move, it was pointed out that the town could ill afford to lose this community of 150 inmates and staff. It appears that the most likely date for the departure of the inmates was the 3rd of October 1922. The same newspaper reported that the boys were transported, along with their belongings and bedding, by motor to Clohine Workhouse. It went on to discount a rumour that the new Borstal had already been burnt down. The Clonmel Nationalist on the 11th of October confirmed that, and I quote, the Irish Borstal Institute has now been transferred completely from its first home in Ireland, the old county prison in Clonmel, to Clohine Workhouse. One week later, during questioning in the Doyle Aaron, Kevin O'Higgins explained the decision to transfer the Borstal was taken in order to make the buildings at Clonmel available for the Minister of Defence, quote, who urgently required them for military purposes. In October 1922, military authorities requested the Minister for Home Affairs to hand over possession of the Borstal Institution, quote, owing to the scarcity of suitable buildings to be utilised for the accommodation of troops in the neighbourhood of Clonmel, unquote, during the continuing civil war. After October, the premises were used as a barracks and headquarters of the Waterford Command of the National Army. When the inmates and staff were evacuated in October 1922, there were over one and a half acres of potatoes, a quarter of an acre of parsnips and one-eighth of an acre of carrots growing in the gardens of the complex. Clahine Workhouse was fully functioning when it, in turn, was forced to evacuate its inmates in October 1922 to the care of other unions. The Nationalist claimed that the move from the ordered conditions of Clonmel to a workhouse environment was difficult for all and that the Borstal staff found their working conditions to be rather irksome. O'Higgins was more enthusiastic about the suitability of the new facility. The workhouse was selected following the inspection of a number of potential locations. It had all the necessary requirements for the 80 inmates and staff. The buildings were in perfect repair, equipped with electricity and an independent water supply, and had up-to-date sanitation. There was excess accommodation for inmates and staff, and the complex was fitted out with all the important workshops and a gymnasium. Little else is known about the period that the Borstal Institution spent in Clohine. Less than one week after the transfer from Clonmel, however, there was a successful escape attempt. 17 inmates escaped on Monday night, the 9th of October, and by the 14th of October, just two had been apprehended. Since its foundation in 1906, the Clonmel Nationalist had been an ardent supporter of the Borstal and the work of its aftercare body, the Borstal Institution of Ireland. The year 1922, though, was somewhat of a watershed in the relationship between the institution and the newspaper. Even though the Borstal would eventually return to Clonmel, the newspaper would never again provide such detailed regular coverage of its work. Clohine residents went to bed on Saturday night, the 4th of November 1922, safe in the knowledge that they were protected by a competent garrison of the National Army.
They awoke early on the Sunday morning to find that they had been left defenceless following what was called the mysterious evacuation of national troops from the town. The decision to withdraw from the area was puzzling to the residents because valuable government property was now left undefended. Following this evacuation by the National Army, the anti-treaty forces arrived in the town and established their own base. At four o'clock on the morning of the following Wednesday, a message for the governor was presented to the external guard of the Borstal by a number of armed men, to the effect that the complex should be evacuated within the next 20 minutes. The 81 inmates, as well as the staff, were awoken and collected their belongings and equipment. They moved to a nearby fever hospital. The attackers then proceeded to pour petrol over the workhouse buildings and, within a few minutes of being set alight, the porter's lodge, clerk's offices and a boardroom all collapsed. Soon the main building and some of the outhouses were gutted. All the while, it was raining heavily. So this was a very chaotic scene. The anti-treaty forces left the complex at around 6am. The residents of the town later claimed that any buildings that were saved from this attack only survived because of what they called their own courage and civic sense. The destruction of the workhouse was inevitably the main subject of discussion by the Board of Guardians for Clahine at a meeting on the 9th of November. The clerk reported that all bedding, furniture and clothing had been destroyed. Seeing that he was able to do little to save the burning buildings, he had engaged two men to remove two splendid presses from an outer section of the registry office, along with some books. His report to the board highlighted his own personal risk in the salvage operation. Certain buildings did survive, including the infirmary, apartments previously used by the hospital sister, the fever hospital and the night nurse's quarters. The clerk recommended that all the furniture he had managed to save should be auctioned immediately and the board should employ some capable men to guard the remaining buildings as he feared both would be subjected to a similar attack. The board of guardians and the clerk were far more concerned for the financial and material implications for Clahean Union than for the future of the Borstal system. The ramifications of this event were significant not only for those on the scene but for the wider penal system in Ireland. In the space of two hours the physical manifestation of the Borstal system in Ireland, carefully crafted over the past 16 years, was burnt to the ground. The entity now consisted of only the inmates and the staff appointed to look after them. For most of that day the Irish Borstal Institution had no walls as the authorities divided an emergency response to that morning's misfortune. The most urgent task for the staff was to rehouse the inmates as quickly as possible. Soon after the attackers departed Clahine, the boys were gathered together and marched to the town of Cair, quote, in great fettle, singing songs at about 10 o'clock in the morning, unquote. Meanwhile, Temporary quarters were established, while a medium-term solution was put in place. The disaster that had just befallen the Irish Borstal system was the most dramatic event to have occurred in the history of the institution. Up until November 1922, the inmates' daily lives were subjected to the strictest control and the boys were rarely allowed to set foot outside the walls of the Borstal in Clonmel. It is impossible to interpret the inmates' good humour as triumphalist 
or merely as a reaction to this extraordinary crisis which had brought some much-needed excitement to their otherwise mundane lives in Borstal. The boys remained for two or three days in care, during which time there was some discussion of temporary accommodation being sought in Dublin. They were returned once again to the original Borstal in Clonmel, but soon transferred to Kilkenny Workhouse, where they remained until the withdrawal of the National Army from Clonmel in 1924. The Borstal Institution never returned to Clahine. Instead, it went back to its original home in Clonmel on the 16th of July, 1924. Fifty boys were transferred from Kilkenny to Clonmel in military lorries, along with the governor, chief clerk, and around 18 warders and their families. This marked an end to a particularly turbulent period in the history of Clonmel Borstal and the beginning of another phase in its existence. And by the way, how did the Borstal system fare during its brief sojourn to Kilkenny Workhouse? Well, that period has disappeared from the documentary archive. So sadly, the answer must remain a part of Kilkenny's and of course Tipperary's hidden history. That's great, uh, isn't it? Uh, the great uh, Conor Reedy there, Dr. Conor Reedy and Tipperary's Hidden History is always uh, fascinating stuff indeed and if you want more of same, all you have to do is uh, go on to uh, Tipperary HiddenHistories.com and it's a wonderful uh, website of Tipperary's Hidden History and um, it's a really, really very fine website. I'm just looking at it here in front of me, in fact. So well done to Connor on that. You can listen back to all of the episodes over about, it seems like about 120 years at this point. But thanks to Connor. We'll take a break. We'll be talking gardening in just a little while. The Imro Radio Award winning tip today. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Test drive the all new Peugeot 2008 compact SUV at Slattery's Garage, puck on. Choose from petrol, diesel, or fully electric. Slattery's